Hey, West Bowles, good morning or good afternoon or evening or whenever you're tuning in right now. One announcement before we get going this morning. This is the first Sunday of the month, and if you've been around for a little while, you know that the first Sunday of the month, we usually take communion together. Today, we will not be doing that because I forgot. So, my apologies. Uh, if you have any complaints about that, you can reach me one of three different ways. Number one, Morse code. Just get on your phone, plink out a message in Morse code, and uh, somehow that'll get to me, I promise. Number two, you can email me. My email is jburns at westbulls.com. Or number three, you can mail us a written letter. Make sure you include a $100 bill with that, and we will listen. In all seriousness, next week, we want to take communion together like we did last month as a body. And so, in light of the challenging circumstances in front of us, we understand that getting groceries is a little bit more difficult now. So, we'd encourage you to look around and use what you've got. No need to go get actual bread and grape juice. Use what you have. And so, plan on tuning in together next Sunday morning, 10 a.m., and we will take communion together as a body. Well, question for you. Do you remember the last time life felt like this time in life? Or maybe you remember the... the <laughs> question for you. Do you remember the last time life felt like this time in life? Or maybe you remember the first time life felt like this time in life. And by that, I mean when life just felt so much bigger than you and then all of us. I remember I was five years old, it was 1986, I was in kindergarten, and I was about to go to school one day, and my parents reminded me that the shuttle was gonna lift off that morning, and I had gotten to watch shuttle launches before, and this was a treat. And so as I sat there and I ate my breakfast, I still remember the Space Shuttle Challenger lifting off from the launch pad. And I had seen shuttle launches before. And so I, I knew there was, there was a lot of flame and that the fuel tanks were going to disconnect. And so at first, I didn't think anything of it a couple minutes later when there was a ball of flame. But suddenly, when I heard my parents gasp, and when I saw that there was, there was just flame and smoke in the air, I realized something was wrong. And inside, I remember it was the first time that I'd ever come face to face with this battle that we all walk through this life facing. That what happens on the outside of us can actually affect the inside of us. By the time I got to school that day, all my classmates knew about it as well. They were gathered around the teacher's desk and they were, t they were telling her what had happened. And as she said, I know, I know, she was great about reassuring us and getting us settled down into our seats. And I don't know that any of us actually learned anything in school that day. Because collectively, not just in that classroom, but as a nation, we all had the mental image of the trauma and the tragedy that had happened that morning. But that night, that night, as we all gathered around radios or television sets, and we listened to and watched President Reagan give a speech to a nation that had been traumatized by what they'd seen. I don't remember the entire speech, but I remember his closing words, words that went like this. The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger honored us by the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning 
as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. That entire day, I had walked for hours and hours with this mental image of what had happened that morning and the trauma of it. Our entire nation had walked with that mental image. But that night, as I listened to the closing words of President Reagan's speech to the nation, those were words that gave me a new mental image. And it, it stayed with me. In the days, in the weeks, and even now years later, those words still give me this mental image that I was captivated by and still am, that they actually touched the face of God. And at five years old, I, I had no other way of taking that than literally, and that fascinated me. It took me years to understand. It was, it was a word picture. It was a rhetorical device. But I'm still captivated by the idea that in the midst of life feeling bigger on the outside than us inside, that we can connect with the one who's bigger than all of it, that we could actually touch the face of God in the middle of it. See, there's something about somebody who gives us hope in the midst of trying times. And perhaps there's nobody better qualified than Peter, follower of Jesus. His letter, 30 years, close to 30 years after the death of Christ, to scattered, persecuted Christians around 60 to 65 AD, was one that was full of hope. And it's one thing to hear from somebody who wants you to just feel better in the midst of challenging times, but it is another thing to hear from somebody that you know has walked through it. And in the rearview mirror of Peter's life are plenty of situations where life felt bigger on the outside than on the inside. And as Peter reacted, those are moments that I'm sure could have been full of regret. But as David Perez, as he, as he started the series last week, as he started when right now is in the rear view, he pointed us to a time in Peter's life when all those right now regrets would become rear view moments redeemed by Jesus Christ. But the thing I can most appreciate about Peter's early years is that for all the right now reactions that he had when life felt bigger, he pointed at something that is just a very natural tendency of, of all of us in, our, in our, just our human condition. It's that we tend to gravitate to outside-in living. That is, when life feels bigger on the outside than, than what we have inside, we will do some things. Specifically, three elements come up in the midst of all this. The first is that we fail to recognize that the outside will always look different. In our human condition, we tend to come up with formulas about next time this happens. But there never is an exact replica of this time that happens next time. I mean, just think about Peter's life, his early years. The, just the broad spectrum of, of different difficulties he encountered. There were, there were personal difficulties in which he came up against the limits of his ability. Specifically, there was a time he saw Jesus walking on the water. And he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. So Jesus told him, get out of the boat. And Peter begins walking to him, and he begins to sink. And he looks around, and he starts looking at himself. There were family challenges. We know of one account where Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. And this was no just regular fever. This was bad enough that he knew he needed to go seek out this, this miracle worker, this miracle maker everyone knew about, Jesus. 
There were professional challenges. Peter, we know he was a fisherman, but one day this man walked up to him and he said, leave your nets and follow me. And while we get like a one-sentence description of Peter leaving his nets and following, I can imagine that was a life feeling bigger on the outside than on the inside moment for Peter. Later on, there would be, there would be control challenges that came up. When Jesus, the one Peter decided to follow, revealed that he was going to die, because that didn't align with Peter's perception of how things ought to go, he decided to rebuke Jesus and say, no, that's not going to happen. And Peter found himself being rebuked right back. There were leadership challenges down the road. Peter and Paul, specifically, had at least one sharp disagreement in which Peter was rebuked for how he was treating people. Now, if you were to zoom out from all that, those are pretty familiar situations, aren't they? But the interesting thing to me is that none of them look the same. The outside always looks different. I mean, just think about it. Do you not have personal challenges that just feel bigger? Family challenges, professional challenges, even control. You know, there's what we'd like to see happen, but it all feels so much bigger than who we are inside. And that leads me to the second element of outside-in living. That, That while the outside can always look different, the inside always looks the same. That is, what goes on inside of us when life feels bigger than us It's pretty much the same family of related issues going on. I mean, just just think about Peter's early years again. There's an account known as the Transfiguration. Peter and a few others are led to the top of a mountain by Jesus, and Jesus is just transformed into the—there's just this radiant glory of God about him. And in a moment, when you can imagine, everything fell silent, and everyone was silent, Peter decides to talk— And I get it, because who of us is really comfortable with that uncomfortable silence? We can go about three, four seconds, and then we feel the need to fill the silence. And so this is what Peter's facing. And and so he says, Lord, it's it's good for us to be here. And and you're reading this, and you're thinking, Peter, just quiet. This is not the time to talk. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then there's this word for Peter and for all of us. Listen, not talk. Listen to him, Peter. There was the account I referenced a little bit ago when Jesus Jesus reveals to the disciples that he is going to die. And because it didn't line up with what Peter thought should happen, Peter pulls Jesus aside and he has the audacity to rebuke him and say, no, that's not how it's going to go. And Peter finds himself being rebuked right back by Jesus. There was that moment in the garden of Gethsemane. They've come to arrest Jesus, and Peter, with a heart to defend and a heart to protect, pulls out a sword, and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers, Malchus. And Jesus says, put your sword away, and he heals the ear of this soldier. But what was going on in Peter across different situations— What was going on inside him is the exact same thing that's going on inside of us. There's a very human element and tendency that that lends itself towards self-preservation. That is, we're going to do whatever it takes to protect our own self-interests. Self-preservation, self-coping, self-justification. I I think back through my life. I I referenced 
the Challenger explosion. And I remember the fear that was going on inside of me. I, I remember the sadness. I remember the uncertainty of that. And, and that was one situation where life on the outside affected me inside. Years later, different situation, same emotions. 1994, my Michigan Wolverines are playing the Colorado Buffaloes in the big house in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Michigan had been favored to win, and they were winning most of the game until those final seconds. Cordell Stewart from the 50-yard line launches a Hail Mary pass into the end zone as time expired. The ball is tipped, and then that Colorado receiver, Michael Westbrook. <sighs> Michael Westbrook. He comes down with the ball, and CU upsets Michigan. And suddenly there was a very familiar family of emotions and reactions going on inside of me. Fear, how far is Michigan going to fall down the rankings because I was so invested in that. And there was anger and there was sadness and I may or may not have been crying that afternoon. Years later, years later now, we look around and there's a global pandemic going on. And as you look around at how life has changed, I would imagine there's a very familiar range of emotions and reactions and dynamics going on inside all of us. Fear, uncertainty, anger, doubt. And it's not to compare the magnitude of, of what's going on on the outside. A football game could never compare to what's going on in front of us right now. It could never compare. To, to the Challenger tragedy years ago. It could never compare to 9-11. But it's very interesting that even though the outside looks different, what happens on the inside remains the same. And even the smallest of situations can bring that up. Last week, I went to bed one night knowing there was one double stuff Oreo left in our house. I knew exactly where it was. I was going to get up and have it for breakfast the next morning. And I got up the next morning and there was the package. Yeah, somebody actually had the audacity to leave the empty package in the pantry and the, the double stuff Oreo gone. And I found a crisis moment. And the same things were going on inside of me. There was, there was fear, what has happened? What has happened to this final Oreo? There was sadness, I might have cried a little bit. And there was anger. Of course there was anger. See, the outside can affect the inside in so many ways. And that brings me to this third element of outside-in living that we're all susceptible to. When the outside feels bigger than the inside, the inside immediately wants to fix the outside. Immediately is such a perfect term for Peter in those early years. In fact, the Gospel of Mark, whom many believe was dictated to Mark by Peter uh, on the accounts of Jesus' life, in the Gospel of Mark, the word immediately shows up 42 different times, and not always in a bad light. I mean, there were moments where Peter, when he came across question, immediately he thought answer. When he came up against problem, immediately he thought solution. When he came up against options, immediately he thought decisions. It wasn't always a bad thing, but there were times that it was. When Peter came up against silence, immediately he thought talk. When he came up against disagreement, immediately he thought challenge. 
when he came up against error or what he perceived to be an error, immediately he thought correct. Now, if you could stand back, does that not describe us? When the outside feels not only bigger than the inside, but it's uncomfortable, it's not fun to go through, don't we think immediately? Don't we want to fix the tension rather than walk through it? It's because we gravitate toward this outside-in living. Now, for all this emphasis on our tendency to gravitate toward outside-in living, question for you. What do you do right now? What do we do with the situation in front of us? It's a completely different outside. It's stirring up a lot of the exact same inside, and there's no immediate fix to what's going on in front of us. I'd invite you to revisit with me what is perhaps the lowest moment of Peter's life, a moment that years later he would look back in the rear view of his life and be able to pull hope from, but not while he was going through it. You remember, and, and David began to point us at it last week, Jesus has been arrested, the disciples have scattered, and the next time we see Peter, he is in a courtyard warming himself by a fire. And he's asked three different times, you were with Jesus, the one they've arrested, you were with him, right? He says, no, no, I wasn't. Well, come on, you knew him, you, you followed him. No, 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 we remember you, you were one of his followers. And he says, no. And the rooster, this rooster crows, and immediately Peter remembers Jesus' words. That that night, before the rooster crowed, he would deny Jesus three times. Now, what do you think the next 48, maybe 72 hours were like for Peter? All he could do was think. Think about Jesus' words to him. Think about how in Jesus' hour of need, when he asked him to pray with him, Peter fell asleep. When he meant to protect him, he incited violence against the soldier. How his final words to Jesus had been commitment, but his final actions were abandonment. And we see Peter. He's left weeping bitterly. Now, we have to appreciate that we get to look at that moment and go, oh, it's okay. It's okay because we know what happens. We know the end of the story, but Peter's living it in real time. Just like you and I are living right now in real time. And life feels bigger. The outside feels bigger than what's going on on the inside. And for Peter, who in that moment was grieving without any kind of hope, when you grieve without hope, even 10 seconds is too long. Meanwhile, while Peter couldn't do anything, hope was up to something. And hope that he thought was laying in a grave was actually walking toward him a matter of days later. Now, you hear that and you think good news, but this maybe off the bat wasn't good news. I mean, when Peter first got the news that Jesus was alive, I want you to think about this for a minute. The one that you just denied, the one that you just abandoned, the one that you just turned on is back from the dead. In Hollywood, this does not go well because dead people, they can, they can go through walls, they can read thoughts, they don't need to sleep, they don't need to eat, and they are very focused on getting to you if you did something to them. And eventually, 
Jesus got to Peter. And his message, as David pointed at last week, was love. And eventually that moment, that right now regret that Peter was living with, became rear view redemption. And so 30 years later, 30 years after this incident where Peter can't find hope, but hope finds Peter, Peter writes to the church that's been scattered all over the place. And he writes words of hope, and he decides to start with an emphasis on the outside. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, says this. To God's elect, exiles. Notice that word, exiles, and then this next word, scattered. Throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Then he, a handful of verses later, emphasizes the outside again. He says, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Can, can you hear the outside emphasis there? Their situation then feels a lot like our situation now. It feels like exile a little bit. It feels scattered. And it feels like a trial. But for all that emphasis on the outside, Peter, if you look at what he has to say at the beginning of this letter, he says, before you emphasize the outside, don't discount. Don't under, underestimate What's happened on the inside? Take a look again at verse 1. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Did you catch that? On the outside, it's exile, it's scattered, it's trial. But on the inside, you were planned and you were chosen by God the Father. You've been sustained and sanctified and will be by his Holy Spirit because of the work, the redeeming work of the Son who redeemed you and saved you. See, when you have all that going on on the inside— then you can say what Peter says next at the end of verse 2. Grace and peace be yours, as in they are yours, in abundance. He goes on, and he says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter can praise, because when he thought things were hopeless, and when he thought the outside had finally crushed the inside, hope was moving toward him. And hope was doing something in the middle of all of it. And it was going to come from the inside of him, a transformation that's taken place inside. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And now, pointing at their outside trials, he says something happens inside. Verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter's holding up a choice for them and for us. He says that without living hope, the outside will always weigh 
on the inside. But with living hope, the outside actually brings out the inside. It brings out what God's been up to. In fact, he uses the perfect illustration in verse 7. These, the trials, have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We all know that gold, when it goes through the fire, when it's put through trial, it's refined. But Peter points out, even gold perishes, but not so with our faith. Not so with what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have done inside of us. When trials come, praise, glory, honor. Those are what come out. Those are what are brought to the surface in our lives. Now, can you imagine one day, right now, that is this whole coronavirus ordeal and everything tied to it, one day, right now, is going to be in the rear view. And I want you to imagine, you're going to be telling the stories of COVID-19 to somebody. Might be a neighbor, might be a coworker, might be the next generation. But can you imagine the story that you'll get to tell? That, that as much as the outside felt like, it paled in comparison to the inside. It's really being able to say what Peter's getting at. Is that our peace is inside out not outside in, because Peter could think back to, Peter could see in the rearview mirror of his life, some right now moments and reactions that made him feel like the outside was bigger than the inside. And all it took was one encounter, one conversation with the living hope of the resurrected Jesus Christ to remind him that no, it's, it's inside out. And so 30-ish years later, as Peter wrote his letter to the scattered church, exiled, going through trial, he could say, you face your trials inside out. And now you and I can look around us at our trials, whether they're petty or a global pandemic, and we can know it's inside out. That's how you go through it. Because the outside can never exhaust the rich resources of what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have done, are doing, and will do on the inside. And when you live like that, in the words of President Ronald Reagan, you walk through this life and you slip the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder, but not just the reminder, the work on your part that you've done on the inside to give us something so much greater, so much more abundant than what's happening, anything that can happen to the outside of us. And so I pray for anybody watching or listening, that the outside has just always felt bigger than the inside, I pray right now that you would open the heart to receive Jesus Christ and to accept and trust in his work on our behalf. Not our ability to fix immediately the outside, but to trust in the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the inside. Remind us of this as we walk through Peter's letter this month. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, we'll see you next week.